The past two weeks have been interesting and challenging. I was selected for jury duty here in California and have a few weeks left in the trial. And that's been taking up most of my time that I usually spend writing, recording this podcast and working with my clients and community. So I'm going to try something new this week. I'm going to answer some of the questions that I frequently receive and share those questions and answers here with you in this episode. This is Invincible Career, and I'm Larry Cornette. So if you want to uh, follow along with the written version of this, this is Q&A from the community, issue 379. Just go to newsletter.invinciblecareer.com. So yeah, I've been busy with the jury duty, and uh, so I'm not entirely happy with the progress on the latest chapter of the book I'm writing. I'd say it's about 80% of the way there, but I need a little more time to wrap it up and do some editing and proofreading and make sure that it's polished enough to share with you. So that's going to be coming later. As I said, I'm going to try something a little new this week. I do get a lot of career-related questions across the various platforms, sometimes through DM, sometimes uh, through the service, you know, on LinkedIn, Twitter, Quora, and so forth. Um, so I'm going to share some of the questions that have come up recently and my thoughts on those. By the way, if you, dear listener, would like to ask me a question about anything, anything related to work, your profession, careers, job interviews, dealing with colleagues, dealing with bosses, anything at all, actually, there are many ways you can do that. Uh, You can reply to the weekly newsletter email that I send out. So if you are a subscriber to my newsletter at newsletter.invinciblecareer.com, you'll receive uh, the newsletter in your inbox and you can just hit reply and it'll come right back to me. And I do respond to people who send me questions that way. Um, You can post your question in the comment section of any of the articles. So all the newsletters are archived online. So if you go to newsletter.invinciblecareer.com, you can pick an article and post your question in the comments. I also linked in this episode, in this article, uh, a way that you can send me an anonymous written question. I know some folks aren't comfortable asking a question with their real email and their real name associated with that. And I, I get that. It's okay. You can send me an anonymous question. And I even have a way for you to record an audio question. So if you would like to ask me a question in your own voice, and then you could uh, be included in an upcoming podcast episode. Now, if you would prefer to remain anonymous, even with the, the recorded question, just let me know. And I can disguise your voice in the podcast. and You can sound like a a secret service FBI agent or whatever you want to you want to pretend to be. So, without further ado, let's dive into the questions. Question number 1. Has working remotely part-time or full-time enhanced your well-being? And my answer is absolutely. You know, I've been working primarily remote for more than 12 years now. 
you know, ever since I left my last corporate job, I've been a consultant. I had my own startup and we had a small office, but I, I worked remote most of the time and I've been fully remote for more than six years now, ever since the big move. I used to commute about two to three hours a day, every single day for that last job. And, you know, I was overweight. If you've seen photos of me, if you know, know me from that time, I was overweight. I was unhealthy. I was pretty unhappy. I didn't see my family much during the work week. Once I went remote, running my own consulting business, I started working out. I started working out more often. I had started doing that even my last year in the corporate world, but I got serious about it when I was on my own uh, schedule with my own business. So I was working out more often, eating healthier, having time to eat healthy meals at home. And uh, after I recovered those two to three hours every day and repurposed them for being able to make meals and work out, I lost 40 pounds, over 40 pounds. And if you check out my Instagram, if you follow me there, you'll see I'm still working out almost every day. I work out, oh, let me think. I lift weights like five days a week and run almost every day. And on the weekends, another, you know, between four to six miles. So I I get to work out every day with that time that I would be spending on the freeway. Um, I was also able to spend more time with my children and eat dinner with my family every night. Imagine that. Uh, like I said, I go for a walk and a run with my wife almost every day. Some days I'm a little too busy, but I, I get that in almost every day. And my mental and emotional health are so much better now. So anyone who has read the advice in my newsletter, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know I'm a huge fan of remote work. And I coach my clients to take control of their working lives so they can work where they want and when they want. I mean, it truly is a life-changing experience. And not everyone was bought into it, and some people still aren't. But even the people who were reluctant and thought it wasn't going to work out uh, now love it. And I think you may have seen all the drama going on places like Apple and other places that have been trying to pull employees back into the office like three days a week, in some cases every day of the week. And, you know, they thought it was just a few disgruntled employees, but now a large number of employees and significant employees like their director of machine learning uh, are threatening to leave the company. He left the company. They want to keep working remotely because it does have a dramatic effect, positive effect on your well-being. Question number two, what job or profession is a lot less fun than people imagine. Uh, you know, I think many professions look more fun from the outside than they do on the inside. For example, I was, you know, a software designer, web designer, app design for much of my career, dating back to 1993. My friends and family who don't work in tech would frequently comment that my job must be fun because I just had to sit around all day and design stuff. And I think 
they were confusing design with art, which I do enjoy. I love creating art, but it isn't the same as creating art. And I can tell you that the actual profession of software design isn't all fun and laughs. And for my design friends listening, you you know what I'm talking about. It's a ton of long hours, so many arguments. <laughs> arguments over requirements and design decisions with product management and engineering and leadership. Endless revisions that just never feel like they're going to be done. Tedious documentation, the specifications, you name it. And sure, I mean, there are fun moments. You know, the early phases of design on a project are kind of fun when you're exploring possibilities and being innovative and creating stuff. But I don't think it's probably more fun than most professions. Likewise, I think the television shows we watch have misled us into believing that the lives of doctors and police officers and lawyers are a lot more exciting than they really are. My brother's a surgeon, so I know he isn't having fun very, very often on the job. You know, when he's standing on his feet doing a 12-hour surgery, I don't think he's having the word fun pop into his head. There's a lot of tedious aspects of the job. I used to be a police dispatcher many, many years ago when I was in college. So I know that most of the time, the job of a police officer is kind of boring. It's full of process and procedure and lots of paperwork, lots and lots of paperwork. You know, it's briefly interrupted by rare moments of terror when things go horribly wrong, but mostly uh, a lot of tedium. And I'm sure that many of us look at the lives of professional athletes and music artists and actors and we think that must be nice. I sure do wish I could get paid to play like that. You know, I love playing basketball. Why can't I be a pro athlete and get paid like that? I love playing guitar. I want to be a music artist. But there's a reason that many of them struggle with substance abuse, depression, failed relationships. The professions aren't as glamorous as they look from the outside. They never are. Question three. What are the considerations before making a career change? This is a tricky question to answer because I don't know how significant the planned career change is. I don't know what you're talking about in terms of a career change. So my first follow-up question would be, what type of career change? Is this a minor pivot or is this a huge change into an entirely different profession? And obviously a massive change will require more serious consideration and preparation. You know, first off, do you really know what you're getting into? You should talk to people in the career or the profession that you're considering. Um, when my son was considering a career, I recommended that he look for people on LinkedIn and reach out and say, hey, would you be willing to talk about what it's like? What is your career like? What's your profession? What advice would you give me? And he talked with some folks that were in the, the profession he was thinking about. You can explore what the job is like before committing, you know, by receiving some training. You know, you could uh, go off to a workshop or a three-day weekend of training in that profession. You could shadow someone. 
occasionally you have that opportunity so that you could find out what's it really like to, to have that job. You know, for example, I have some friends who have considered opening restaurants or bars. You know, they, they love cooking, they love food, and it's kind of a dream. They want to open a restaurant. I have some friends that think it's the most amazing fantasy life to own a bar, to run a bar. Uh, however, <laughs> I also have friends who did it and relatives who did it, who committed, opened a restaurant, and it is not as fun as you might think it is. There's a big difference between cooking food for your friends and family and cooking food for strangers for eight to 12 hours a day. Uh, some went off and went to culinary school and spent time as a chef and they changed their minds. They're like, okay, the reality of this isn't what I thought it would be. Another thing to consider is, do you need a financial cushion? Depending on the career change, you may need funds to bridge the gap while your new career is spinning up. Sometimes a, a change like that may reduce your income. That happens. Sometimes people make a big change and they start at a lower level and they're not making as much money as they were before. So they need that cushion to provide enough income to support themselves or support their family while it's, uh, while it's evolving and becoming more lucrative. This is often the case if you quit your job to become an entrepreneur and start your own business. It takes time. It takes some time for a new business to provide a reliable and sufficient income stream. If you don't want to go into debt or raise funding to pay yourself a significant salary, you're going to be trying to live off the profit after all the expenses of running that business. And it takes time. It can take years. So maybe that career change requires a lifestyle change. That's another consideration. Are you prepared for that? You may need to downsize. I know some people that wanted to go all in and start their own business. And so they sold their home, they sold their fancy cars, and they moved into a smaller place and they really tightened the belt and reduced their household budget to give them enough runway to live off that lower income as they made that change. Sometimes your commute is going to be completely different. You know, your commute could go like mine did once. I went from like a 30 minute commute to sometimes a two hour commute. So it almost uh, quadrupled. It's pretty bad. You know, it may be that your working hours are very different when you change to a new profession. Uh, definitely experienced that when I transitioned from my old life of, you know, basically nine to five work, blue collar work to a tech career where, you know, you're on salary, you're not being paid hourly. And so the work never ends. <laughs> there is no nine to five. I found that out the hard way. Sometimes it was nine to nine. Sometimes it was nine to midnight. You end up working really, really long hours. So that's a huge change. Uh, the other thing you should be prepared for is the impact that it may have on your social network, your circle of friends. Many of us make friends through work. 
we've built those relationships up. Sometimes we're friends with people at our current job. And I know I lost quite a few quote friends (laughs) when I left my tech career behind. When I was no longer useful to people as a vice president who can help them out and have some influence in that industry. Some of those friends vanished in a puff of smoke. Uh, When I became a leadership and career coach, they were like, eh, I don't know if we're friends anymore. Like, okay, I guess we never were friends. And finally, what is your backup plan? If the career change doesn't work out, that is an important consideration. Failure is always a possibility and it can happen. I mean, my, my tech startup failed. I've talked about that after uh, three, three and a half years. And so I had to quickly come up with a plan B to keep going, to support my family, to pay for my mortgage and health insurance, all that good stuff. So rather than scramble, be prepared. Be prepared with a backup plan ahead of time, just in case. If it doesn't work out, you know what you can fall back and do. Question four, what if any, new careers are open to you if you are nearing 60? Good question. Uh, Even though age discrimination is illegal, and in the U.S. the law protects people age 40 or over, we all know it still happens. Sorry to my friends in denial who think it doesn't happen. It does. It's a massive issue in tech. I encountered it several times. I was on interview teams where people who were interviewing a candidate would be debriefing and say, oh, they're so old. They're too old to be creative and innovative. So I heard those ageist words come right out of people's mouths. That supposedly doesn't happen. I was the recipient of age discrimination. I had a junior partner at a VC firm make a negative comment about my gray hair. So I've encountered it several times. Unfortunately, it is hard to prove age discrimination. Unless it's happening on a massive scale and there's a paper trail and they can look at the data and say, wow, there is a uh, obvious data that supports that older employees are being discriminated and job applicants. That happened with IBM. They got sued. But it's usually really hard to prove. So it is wise to plan ahead and be ready for the inevitable slowdown in opportunities that used to flow your way, like milk and honey. Used to come your way all the time when you were younger. And I have friends and acquaintances who've reached out to me and said, something's going on. Now that I'm over 40, now that I'm over 50, it's like I used to be able to get a job almost overnight. And now I've been looking for weeks or months. What's happening? That would be uh, the ageism rearing its ugly head. I saw it coming. So I started planning my future as I approached my 40s. Because I I could already see where things were going, especially in tech, especially in Silicon Valley. You do not want to be an individual contributor in some professions over 40, over 50. You know, it's like you're too old to be creative. So I intentionally guided my career in a direction where my age would be viewed as an asset, not a liability. And that 
I moved into management. People expect management to be a little bit older. You know, senior leadership executives are a little bit older. Consulting. People like an older consultant, a wiser consultant who's been around the block a few times. So that's why I made the move that I did. Moved into management, leadership, and then eventually consulting. So that's open to you. You know, some other examples you've probably watched in other professions and industries. You know, successful actors, the really clever ones, become directors before they age out and are no longer wanted for parts, right? They make this move before it's too late. You know, Ron Howard did it, Penny Marshall, Jodie Foster. Those hot young music artists know that the clock is ticking, unless you're the Rolling Stones, apparently. So they start their own record label before they grow too old and grow weary of all the touring. Jay-Z has his own label. The Beatles did. Dave Grohl. World-class athletes. They know the clock's ticking. It's really hard as an athlete. They know when it's time to hang it up and transition into coaching. You know, Bill Russell did it. Martina Navratilova did it. Mike Ditka. And as, as I said, many older employees move into consulting. And they start their own agencies when they feel their career is slowing down. And they, you know it. You can sense it. When you see the promotion slowing when you're inside the corporation, when you see it's harder to get new jobs, people move into consulting. And it's actually kind of a nice lifestyle. People like me leave the corporate world entirely and become coaches. A lot of coaches out there. And they start advising the next generation of ambitious employees and leaders and managers. And then finally, some people realize the big secret is that you can't be forced into early retirement if you start your own business and become your own boss. You will not fire you. I know many business owners over the age of 60, tons of business owners over 60. Uh, one example, my optometrist. <laughs> it's crazy. My optometrist owned his own practice. And he just retired this year. I got a letter from him. He's over 90. So he was practicing in his own optometry firm into his 90s. It's incredible. So I did link kind of a nice article. It's a feel-good article. It's called A New Start After 60. I became a psychotherapist at 69 and found my calling. It's a wonderful article. It's linked if you go to this article associated with this episode at newsletter.invinciblecareer.com. It's the Q&A one. Yeah, she went back to school, got her degree, became a psychotherapist and loves it. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. Um, I also wrote another newsletter about this. I think I have a podcast episode about this too. And it's called You'd Better Ride That Wave, issue 319. And it's talking about the natural waves, the peaks and valleys in careers and how to make the most of it. It's kind of like surfing. At some point, the wave ends. 
Question five, how many careers did you have before your current one? And I guess it depends on how you define a career. I've had many different jobs in my life, but I wouldn't classify any of the earlier ones kind of pre-Silicon Valley as a career. You know, I didn't dedicate a significant amount of my professional life to them. Uh, Before I became a leadership and career coach, I spent most of my professional life in one career in tech. I was a designer, design manager, design leader, product executive, and then a startup founder and CEO. But I would put all of those roles, even though there were some pivots in there, under the umbrella of a tech career. So I'd say one. I would say that the idea of having one primary career for life is outdated. It's, it's gone. Um, my professional life has changed considerably over the years, about every 10 years. It's kind of like clockwork. I would guess that many of you will change careers probably more than once in your lifetime. And then uh, the final question, question six. What do you do when your business direction is becoming more risky and you feel like your life is taking too long to get to where you want to be? Mildly bittersweet and having a lot of hindsight about my past life right now. Frowny face. One of my most popular articles ever was on this topic. You know, what does too long mean? Are you comparing yourself to someone else? And that was way back issue number seven. It's never too late to be successful and happy. Uh, it's a good one. I linked it in the this article, newsletter.invinciblecareer.com, if you want to read that. You know, the focus on, quote, where you want to be, that reveals what is known as the arrival fallacy. I think Adam Grant was just talking about that this week, maybe last week. Many of us experience it at a few points in our lifetime, right? Uh, There's a quote, arrival fallacy is this illusion that once we make it, once we attain our goal or reach our destination, we will reach lasting happiness. If you've ever said, yeah, it's kind of crazy right now, but once I graduate, once I get my degree, everything's going to be great. Or once I get this next job, once I get promoted to vice president, oh my gosh, it's going to be amazing. I'm going to be so happy. My life's going to be perfect. You know, once I move to New York City and I get married, wow, that's when life really starts. When you dream about the destination, you keep thinking that reaching it will be what makes you happy. You're not enjoying your life along the way. And that's such a shame. You'll spend your whole life waiting to be happy. And I know this is easier said than done, but you need to enjoy the journey too. You need to live in the moment a bit. I don't know how many people can tell tell us all this. Usually people at the end of their life or people that have a terminal disease and they know life is short and you can't wait to enjoy it. And the truth is, many people, probably almost everyone, experiences a bit of a letdown when they reach a big goal. I was just reading about an author that published a book, and they're like, oh my gosh, when I publish this book, I'm going to be so happy. This is going to be so amazing. 
and they published it and it was a kind of a frenzy and a whirlwind tour of everything going on. And then within two days, they're like huge letdown, huge emotional letdown. And like, is that it? Why, why am I not happy? Why did this not last? It was this whole feeling of like, what now? Now, your comment about your business direction becoming more risky is a valid concern. And my follow-up question for you would be, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by more risky? What are the details of that? You should continuously evaluate progress and how things are going. So if you're running a business and you're looking at the trends, the forecast of how well is the business growing, is it going to be profitable? How much more runway do I have? Yeah, you should always be tracking that. Sometimes it is time to cut your losses and move on. You know, you don't want to fall for the other fallacy of sunk cost. Sometimes you have to move on. But I don't know enough to tell you if you've reached that point yet. So you can reach out, ask me more details if you'd like, share more details. So you, my listeners, what do you think? Do you enjoy these Q&A sessions? Yes or no? Should I do them more often? Should I do it again? Should this be the last time? Reach out, send me a message, leave a comment, let me know. Um, and again, you could always go to my newsletter. I linked a whole bunch of different ways you could ask me a question. So if you want to ask me a question that I could share the answer in an upcoming podcast episode, feel free, do it. I'd love to hear from you. Um, so I hope you found this episode helpful. Hope you enjoyed it. And if you could leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcast or Spotify or whatever it is that you use, I'd appreciate that. Until next time, I wish you the best of luck in becoming an opportunity magnet for the best things in life.